Rising Above Shadows of Abuse podcast. I'm your host, Grace Osborne. Thank you for joining me on this exciting journey. Welcome listeners. Our special guest today is Sue Brown. She's a personal consultant, integrative counselor, therapist, and life coach. She has an MSc in integrative counseling and coaching. She's the CEO of ADI, MC and C Limited. She has experience of working with children, young people, and adults. She has worked with the probation service in London, where she worked with clients who required support, which impacted their personal self-worth, their families, and the wider community. She was the lead London Union Learning Representative, working with area representatives, supported and encouraged employees for continuous personal development and self-worth within the London Probation Trust, and also worked with perpetrators of abuse. Welcome, Sue. Thank you. Thank you, Grace. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. Can you kindly tell us a little bit more about yourself? I know you've worked with the probation office and prisons before. What made you switch to working as a therapist with perpetrators of domestic violence or abusers? Okay, for clarity, I didn't work in prisons. I worked with prisons. I worked mainly in the community with service users who um, were in the community and also in prison. So I worked with a combination of both. Um, I worked with high risk and low, from low risk to high risk service users. Working as a probation officer, you ha- there was um, a lot of issues that service users presented and a lot of it was mostly emotional well-being. Um, there was no access to counseling in the community or anything within the therapeutic process. And I was doing a lot of coaching at that time with service users in the community and in custody. Unless he was deemed as high risk um, service user, and they, those are usually people do murders or um, manslaughter, sex offences, other offences like in that similar nature. Who would, would work with psychologists in prison and in the community? So I decided to train as a counsellor. I thought, I'm doing the work. Let me do the work properly as a counsellor and coach. Yeah. Okay. So the reason why I, che- I chose domestic abuse, working as a therapist with domestic abuse, whilst working probation, I did it hand in hand. So I was training to be a um, counsellor and coach, and part of my masters was to do a research paper, and I chose to work with domestic abuse perpetrators um, as a therapist. Um, they weren't my clients; they were other people's clients. But it it covered a wide remit of services where I believe that domestic abuse perpetrators weren't getting the support they needed emotionally um, with their mental health. So after a long discussion with my supervisor, we, we both agreed, yes, it will cover the remit of what was needed in my research paper. So in essence, you did um, combine coaching and therapeutic um, skills for yeah. 
domestic um, abusers. So were mm -hmm. you solely working with them? Yes, I was solely working with them. I was solely working with them with even um, a probation office in Kent, where I would offer this therapy on a Friday mornings um, between nine and one, and they would come and see me on a weekly basis to have therapy. Okay, so how many um, clients were you seeing? I was seeing four. Four, okay. Yeah. And, and what was the, dura uh, the duration? Was it for six duration weeks or was the short, short term? It was short term, it was 12, 12 weeks. And in that 12 weeks, I saw them weekly. And it was, it was part of things with, with um, in probation, they have um, community orders or they might have license conditions. And having license conditions, they would um, be able to use my service as a therapeutic service and actually tick off their um, hours if need be, or meet that criteria on their license of having therapy. The new Domestic Abuse Act 2021, how does it impact perpetrators? It gives most, um, the Domestic Abuse Act 2021 came into effect last year, but actually will start, like the Equality Act will start this year with, with um, the offences, because they, they needed time to regulate offences and how to um, make it more um, proportionate for the offence. Because there's low to high risk serious offences, okay. So they have to make a proportion for the punishment. So that came into effect this year with the, the law for the service users. It gives more onus to the victim. The perpetrators are um, less able to cross-examine um, victims in court, which used to happen before. It gives the perpetrator less control over the victim for controlling or coercive behavior for them. And it allows the victim to be able to have more power. So basically taking back the power control away from the perpetrator. The law actually stipulates now that it, it has to be um, someone in a personal relationship before it was living or not living with, but now it's about personal relationships that that includes men women and siblings not living together so basically where it used to be just partners and and the perpetrator now it's more broad more broader it's more recognized if um for example someone got asd and they're on uh, and they are violent with asd that can be deemed as domestic abuse as well Although it does criminalise a person due to their mental health issues, but it's recognising that people can be victims of domestic abuse from their siblings or their child. Okay, so in essence, it's inclusive of um, family, mm. apart from intimate partners. Including intimate partners. Yeah, I said, yeah, inclusive of intimate partners. Mm -hmm. But it's broader now because we have family um inculcated yes. into it yes most definitely also there's, there's a new introduction about coercive and controlling behavior um before it wasn't recognized um that it was that it, that coercive and controlling behavior was mm, separated 
yeah so basically the person could hold on to the economic um being economically abusive towards their partner even after they're separated so they could say oh i'm going to um stop um, supporting you because you're not together that leaves the victim in dire straits and how they're going to maintain the family or maintain themselves if they've been solely reliant on the, on the perpetrator does it make sense what I'm saying? yeah it does make sense so uh, that's a thrift issue yeah. yeah the financial aspect of um abuse mm -hmm. so uh, the next question is what do you know about claire's law claire's law could be now used for women and men and um, Claire Wood was killed by her um, ex-partner who had a history of domestic abuse and violence. He had contacted her through social media, Facebook. Um, agencies had concerns about so, um, people meeting people through social media and dating. So it gives the person the right to know, or the right to ask, sorry, right to ask if their partner has, domestic, has a history of domestic abuse. It also highlights the right to ask, um, to, sorry, Get the right way. Right to ask is about the, the partner wanting to know about their partner if they've got history of domestic abuse. Right to know is about the police informing the victim or the potential victim of domestic abuse. Okay, so in essence, um, if two couples have separated or are di uh, divorced and the perpetrator wants to date another person, the former partner or wife could give information is that it no, no. what it is is um because that's part of marac so if the if the person if i'm going into a new relationship for example and i have a thinking that this person may be abusive towards me in the future i have a right to ask the police to inform me if that person has a history of domestic abuse okay so it's enshrined so in the law. Okay. So it's enshrined in the law now. Yes. That's okay. Claire's law. Okay. Part of Claire's law. Thank you so much, Sue. So what is Socratic questioning and how useful is it in mental health or on male perpetrators? In mental health is really good in, in some sense. Socratic questioning means we ask inquisitive questions a lot of questions and then we challenge the client about some irrational or negative thoughts, unreasonable thoughts that, and bring it to their awareness through active listening. So if the person is in denial of what they're saying, we can paraphrase on fact and, and um, summarize what they are actually saying to, what we hear them saying to them saying, and that's when the work starts to begin. So I use various modes of communication with my clients to keep them at ease. And that's the main important thing, to get them at ease and learn to trust me about having intimate information about themselves. So the, use, the language I use is non-judgmental, empathetic, compassionate, and in, in, encourages trust. It gives the client a space to focus on themselves. For the person in front of me is not a perpetrator, the person in front of me is a client. So I'm, I'm not going to be thinking, oh, you've got domestic abuse behind in, as an offence, or you've disclosed domestic abuse. What I, who I'm seeing in front of me is an individual, and that's how I work with them. Okay. So in essence, a Socratic, um, Socratic 
questioning is like asking open-ended questions. Yep, definitely. What is what is the problem? How do you do this? Yes. So questions along that line. Yeah, I use my five, my, my six or five Ws, depending what school of thought you come from. Yeah. Um, I also use other other um, um language as well, and I use, I'm very creative. Being a dyslexic practitioner, what I do, I use like um paper paperwork or, or cards or different things to bring out communication and emotional emotional well-being of the person to identify what is actually happening so do you use um art as a form of therapy as well yes i do okay i do do art okay. and i think art is a very creative way of if someone's have language barrier to actually get them to actually ex express themselves in, in a way that they are able to communicate and express and, and explain to me what is in the art and what I see in the art. So for example, if someone uses a lot of red, I ask them what does the red signify to them? Or what does the yellow signify to them? Does it make sense? So they can identify with the color of that. Could they tell me about themselves through the artwork? That's interesting. <laughs> um, what is Marak? And what are the support? What are the other support agencies that work with perpetrators? And what services do they provide? Okay, uh, Marac means multi-agency assessment conferences, and this is discussion amongst different agencies such as police, social services, NHS, including GPs, um, midwives, um, nurses, and housing, probation. Um, youth offending teams, mental health services for adults, um, drugs and alcohol services. And it's, it's a lot of people around the table and we work with providing info to um, different agencies. So it's a multi-agency approach. This is also where we have a discussion where we, we have a right to inform the victim that this person is a perpetrator of domestic abuse. History of domestic abuse. So those are the um, multi-agency uh, coming together to bring a solution. Not solution per se, because it's the choice is down to the partners of the perpetrators. Um, we offer services in in Marriott. Offer services and support and try to reduce the risk of harm to the. The victim and our family. So, do they provide any particular service? They do. They've got people called IDVERS, and I cannot, I cannot remember what they're called again or what the IDVERS stands for. But IDVERS are the people who work solely with the victims of um, domestic abuse. They are they are based in each each borough, and they can be contacted if you Google them. Um, if you're a victim of domestic abuse. And they are the ones that work specifically with victims and provide services like say to them, okay, this person needs to be housed, rehoused, because the, the perpetrator keeps coming to the address. The new laws comes into effect, says that yes, we have that um, local authorities have a statutory right um, duty to work with the victim and move them away from the perpetrators. And they also help impose license, like talk about licenses the probation officers to, to see how they can protect the victim once a person's been released from custody. 
how do you uncover anger during therapy? And have ah. you have you experienced um, projections, transference, and counter-transference of anger during therapy? How did you handle it? Answer the short answer is yes. <laughs> 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 it's more passive aggressive. It hasn't been di like directly at me or someone hovering over me. It's it's passive aggressive because there's um when you challenge perpetrators of domestic abuse, you have to be mindful they're used to manipulation. They're used to having their own way. They're used to dictating what the, the control and power over the person. And being a female um, therapist, yeah, it's like I could emulate their partner or their mother. Do you know what I mean? And they could be angry towards me. It's not directly at me, but that's a projection coming towards me. doesn't make sense. So I understand yeah. that but I have that's to be mindful. That's the transference. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to be mindful that I'm not a probation officer anymore. Because as a probation officer, I would ask direct questions about the offence and what, what, what made them commit the offence against the, then the, the victim. I'd be asking all these questions as a, as a probation officer. And, it, and this is where I'll get the passive, the really like passive aggressive behavior towards me and, and the anger towards me directing people standing over me, you know, I'm thinking, well, I'll be sitting down there and calm and I think, okay. Or if they're under the influence of drugs, that's when the anger would come out as well. But as a counselor and, and a coach, I explore with the, with, the, with the client, what is going on for them? What's going on for them at that time? If they're being aggressive or passive aggressive towards me, ask, I bring to I bring it to the forefront. I bring it to the front so they know that I can I can see what they're doing, and they can think about what they're doing. Does it make sense? And most yes, of the time, when people are um, in denial or lack remorse, it's a process that takes time. It's not it's not oh you need to change right now. It's a case of no, let's take time and let's work through this from the service level and going down. So with with my method of working. If we're on a surface level, it's the surface level, I, I slowly bring my client down into depth so they understand it's not a quick, like, that's too much. That can be very defensive, cause defensive. But if I gently bring them down into depth and work with them compassionately and empathetically, they have more trust in me, then we can start working on the core issues that was, that's underlying. Also, it with if it gets too much, if we do a piece of work one week, the following week they might say, I don't want to talk about me per se in how I feel. Let's talk about how I can grow and how can I can move forward. So what I do with the coaching, we can start thinking like, oh, I want to start my own business soon. So we can explore what business they would like to use, they'd like to um, start, how they start it. And, moving them forward to where and when they will start this business. So it gives them the safety to actually, when, when they feel overwhelmed with what's going on emotionally with them, we can do something more practical with the, with the coaching, which is more safer for them. So they can, dip, they can go up or down, but we're still doing a the therapeutic process. Okay, so it's like a balance yeah. between the emotional and the other aspects of their lives. Mm -hmm. Because being person-centred, person I allow the client to bring forward what they want to bring forward for them and make them ready when they're ready. 
not negating the emotional well-being, yeah. but also this is about moving them forward as well. Okay, so because the client has the autonomy. Yes, exactly. The next question is, is there always a safe space, apart from the therapeutic space for perpetrators to calm down? What are the calming techniques, if any? There's not always a safe space for the perpetrator to, um, to leave the victim. It's not always a safe space. There's not always a safe space. But what I do do to, 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 to try and minimize the potential risk of harm to the victims is to, before we finish our session, is do a check-in. How are you feeling? If you, when you leave this room, how are you, what's gonna, what are you gonna do next? What's the, what are you thinking? What's, the, what's your behavior? And if they, if they can explore this themselves through therapy to find out the, what the, their triggers are and how they can address things. It's about um, them finding their own solutions. We could explore like going, um, going for a walk or meeting a safe friend, a friend that's not taking drugs, not taking alcohol, someone they can talk to who's, who's open-minded outside the therapy room. Um, I could ask them to explore when they feel angry or want to um, project onto the victim, what's going on for them. Ask them to examine what is actually going on for them at that time. Is it work? Is it friends? Is it money? What is it? Let them find that solution so we can practice that in therapy while we're, while we're moving forward. We ask them not to, well, I ask them not to go to the pub or misuse drugs after therapy or before therapy because it's a disinhibitor. So anything that they may be reflecting on whilst in therapy, they might go back to home and project that onto their victim. Thank you so much for that. And have you worked with any perpetrator who through your help has turned his life around? Yes, I have. Um, I've had, um, I've given um, therapy to one, one, uh, one rings home for me is, is one actually, one who did my research paper my research paper and he he just sticks in my mind all the time so anytime I think about as other people have worked and been successful but he's the one that's been most significant in my mind because he, he when I was working with him before there's a, there was a kind of fear towards him there's something that wasn't I wasn't too sure that if he was taking in with us with, with the work we was doing but actually it was significant roundabout change in six months where he actually his risk of harm was medium okay or serious harm was medium but he went down to low after interventions with myself therapeutically because he said as part of the feedback is that if he didn't have the therapeutic um relationship with myself the working reliance with myself he felt that he even though he did the domestic abuse program, he felt that it didn't address him as an individual. He felt that he was in a room that wasn't judged. He was able to be himself. 
He explored what happened when he was younger. He explored what may have triggered him from being a, 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 from, a, from a childhood to adulthood to being a perpetrator. He was able to identify that and actually address it because he was abused as a young person. He was bullied as a young person. So he started being the bullier, the person who bullied people. So as a result, as a result, he learned to control and coerce people into doing what he wanted them to do. And he actually moved forward into his, his marriage and it affected his family. But as, as a result of working with, he didn't remember about the abusive behavior he had as a child growing up until we addressed it in therapy. And then he recognized, ah, oh, that's when it, and it triggered. So the person I've met six months, the first time with the, with the 10 sessions, to the person I saw six months later was a complete uh, different turn, turnaround. Even his probation officer was impressed on, and seeing him. Wow. So it, it shows the therapeutic process, process does work. Does work, yeah. So in essence, you use the psychodynamics. Uh, it's like a dynamic, I use person-centered, yeah. I use my coaching, okay. I use different things because I, I, I have psychodynamic, person-centered and existential therapist. That's integrative actually. Yeah, that's okay. integrative, exactly. I'm also, I'm also an integrative uh, psychotherapist, so yeah. Okay, so um, originating from the Caribbeans, I believe there's a growing awareness of uh, domestic abuse uh, back in the Caribbeans. Are there similarities or differences between the domestic violence or abuse laws as in the United Kingdom? Domestic abuse is domestic abuse everywhere in the world. Domestic abuse, no difference. There is domestic abuse everywhere, but each country deals with domestic abuse differently. So- Did you say differently? Yeah, differently, because okay. some, pe some people, some countries accept domestic abuse and some countries don't. Um, so it, depending where each person comes from and how they identify issues. It took, the, it took campaigners four years to get the Domestic Abuse Act into the UK, and this happened last year. Um, and we're in the Western, Western, Western world. It cost us, it cost the UK 60 billion pounds each year to address domestic abuse, which is quite a lot of money. Yes, the Caribbean um, and other countries have identified the impact of domestic abuse and, and are campaigning to change this behavior and put it into policy now. So it's, it's still ongoing, ongoing. England last year recognized domestic abuse and the impact of domestic abuse. Other countries also are following suit. So for other countries, they're upcoming, that they have the awareness and they're doing something about their policies. Yes, um, and making it, and making it public, because domestic abuse is at home or in the community and people shy away from addressing it sometimes because they've seen it as normality. Well, now that, that normality is being challenged. Yes, you're quite right, because whatever is applicable in the Caribbean is also applicable in some African countries as well. Mm, so, yeah. But there's a, a big awakening mm. that there's something wrong. We need to yeah. do something about it. So they're bringing out policies, new policies with regards to domestic abuse. Yeah, and hopefully it'll, it'll transpire across the world, hopefully. 
That's what I'm we're not. working towards. We're working towards, yes. <laughs> okay. I'm going to be asking you fire questions and then we'll be rounding up. Yeah. You know, it's, um, don't worry, you, you'll be fine. So, <laughs> <laughs> imprison perpetrators or give support for them to change behavioral patterns. I'm a firm believer. I'm a firm believer of people can change. Otherwise, I wouldn't be a therapist. I would have been a probation officer. I'm not saying that the process is easy to confront negative and entrenched, sometimes entrenched behaviour, but it's a journey that's worth going for. So change may not happen whilst in whilst we're in therapy. It might happen like three months, six months, a year, two years. But something will trigger in that person's mind to say, oh, yes, we've done, I've done this, I've worked on this. Mm. And if the person's in, invested in working with the therapist to work to address that, change can happen. Oh. I believe so. Really. It's my personal yeah, belief. That's great. I believe strongly on that uh, no, uh, notion as well. So in terms of um, domestic abuse, upbringing or genetics, I can't mental come, health do they come into play what stance do you take i can't um, comment on the genetics i'm not i don't i didn't um, research that however um there's a school of thought that the way someone's been brought up mental health issues can contribute to current behavior um although it's not an excuse for domestic abuse because it's um, if someone's got mental health, it's not excuse of the, the, the abusive behaviour they have towards their partner. But there's also a, a, a school of thought where attachment theory, which is where I've, I've, I've learned attachment theory, whereby depending on the person, how they've been brought up the, the, with the carers, if the, the carers hasn't given a nurturing and loving environment for the person to grow, they're not going to grow as they say norm the norm person who who feels that who wouldn't be a, um, abusive behavior but then again some people have that inside them where they want to be controlling they want to be abusive okay if the person if the caregivers were drug um, drug misusers the young the young person learns that when when my parent gives me is under the influence of drugs what they see as not being lucid with them, then that, that they keep away. They don't, they don't have that nurturing, there's a separation. If, and they also learn that I have to look after myself. I have to control myself. I have to control what's going on around me because my parents are not protecting me. They're not making me safe, yeah? Okay. So it depends on, on what has happened in the past or if the person has innate, Behaviour okay. of anger. Mm -hmm. okay. So the last question is, fire question is, educate younger men to treat women with respect or caregivers to train boys on how to respect girls or women? It's important to recognise us as a person, as, as a therapist, as, uh, for our own personal biases with working with domestic abuse perpetrators. There's a generalized opinion that it's only boys who perpetrate girls for domestic abuse. Women can also be domestic abuse perpetrators and also same sex can be um, abusers. <clears throat> 
this disproportionate amount of domestic abuse uh, that's not been uh, been underreported um, due to shame and not being believed or fear of discrimination. As part of my therapy, my therapy, I try and stretch the client as much as possible to address the issues with their part about their partners and with their their family and or family, <clears throat> and how it impacts on the victim. So, in my area, um, children in secondary school are, are learning about domestic abuse and what their rights are. And these, this is not just um, boys, but also girls being educated. So, <clears throat> depending on the background, so, so if, if, if the person, if the family, if the young person are living with perpetrators of domestic abuse, because now children can be deemed as victims of domestic abuse to the law, it's about how the, how, what, what, what would they learn? If your dad or mom is beating their partners or their husband or wives, or that it's about, you've, you've taught me how to be perpetrator of domestic abuse. The school is actually saying, no, this behavior is not adequate. It's not suitable. It's not appropriate, right? And it's against the law. And one of the, the issues that in the Domestic Abuse Act now is that they're trying to educate people um, in, in schools as well, um, of part of school health, okay. you know, to address, as, as in this area, that they are, um, the domestic abuse is not the appropriate way to manage relationships. Yes, people argue, but to the, to the fact, to the, to the point where people are using coercive, controlling and power to overcome their partners is inappropriate and it can be addressed. Thank you so much, Sue. It was nice to have you today. How can listeners get in touch with you? I've got a website, ADAMCNC. Um, you can um, Google me. Um, they've got all my contact details on my website. And you can call me directly or through um, different social media, contact me through social media. Thank you once again. I do appreciate your input. If you've enjoyed this episode, kindly subscribe, comment, share, and leave a review. See you on our next episode. For more Rising Above Shadows of Abuse news, head to our Instagram.com page or YouTube.com page forward slash Rising Above Shadows of Abuse. And our email address is rising above shadows of abuse at gmail.com so interact with us see you soon rising above shadows of abuse podcast with grace of